It is a, it is a, I've preached a number of messages off this word. It speaks, it's so relevant to us today. Um, the Bible says that God speaks with the voice of many waters. That symbolism says that he's there to, to satisfy and to quench the thirst of all people. He, he speaks on every level when he utters a word. I'm amazed sometimes I'll have people come up and say, oh, you preached right at me today. Did my wife call you or uh, something like that? And, of course, that never happens. And then somebody else will, will hear the same thing and say, well, that spoke directly to me and their circumstances will be vastly different. But that's how the Holy Spirit is. I preach, he teaches, he explains. All right, have you found Deuteronomy 6.23? All right, for those that haven't, you just follow along. Here we go. He is describing, Moses is writing this, he is looking back, he's old, he's looking back, and he's retelling in the book of Deuteronomy the story of, of the Hebrew slaves' deliverance out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. So he's at the very beginning of that recounting of the story. That's what the whole book of Deuteronomy is. It is the recounting or the looking back and retelling the story. And this one verse is like an anchor that uh, it really explains the purpose of why this whole thing took place, why the slaves were delivered, why they went through the wilderness, and why they brought, were brought into the promised land. And so he makes this statement, and then for the rest of the book he's telling the story. Here's the statement. Speaking of God, Moses says, He brought us out from there so that He might bring us in to give us the land that He swore to give to our fathers. Let me read that one more time and stress these two transitional statements. He brought us out from there, from slavery, so that he might bring us in to the land of promise. And one of the things you notice right off the bat is that being brought out isn't automatically entering in. It's a two-step process. Coming out of a bad situation doesn't automatically put you into a good situation. Everything good in this life has to be chosen. It's not automatically the default position of making a good decision to get out of a bad situation. So he brought us out from there in order to be able to bring us in. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Well, first of all, a little historical perspective. God's deliverance of the Hebrew slaves from slavery in Egypt was history's largest liberation movement. And since the natural events of the Old Testament forecast the spiritual realities of the New Testament, God intended the Exodus story to be a kind of prophetic illustration of our liberation from sinners to children of God led by Jesus Christ. So their Exodus and entering the Promised Land is really a gigantic physical story, if you will, an illustration, an analogy of the Lord bringing us out of the Egypt of sin and into the promised land of fellowship with God, being reunited with Him through Jesus Christ. So you've got that. Now, <clears throat> it's God's prophetic map, as I said, that story. And so to understand 
where you are in your walk with the Lord and why you're where you're at. So many believers want to know, well, where am I in my walk with God? And if you will think about coming out of Egypt into the wilderness and transitioning into the promised land, you're somewhere in there. And what you're about to hear is not meant to nail you down in your life totally. It's to be used in different situations and circumstances. In other words, you could be in the wilderness in one area of your life, but definitely be walking in the promised land in other areas of your life. So you can apply this on a variety of levels, just so that you understand. But to understand your journey with the Lord today, you need to ask three questions concerning the Hebrews' journey from slavery in Egypt into the promised land to understand your journey with, with the Lord today. Number one, first question, very basic. Um, why did God deliver the Hebrews? Certainly they weren't the only slaves. The whole world was, uh, slavery was common, and they were a nation of slaves. Why did God choose to deliver them? Anybody want to? All right, so, Jerry. Yeah, okay. All of you have... Uh, expressed words that say the same thing. They had a covenant with God. Now, the, the Hebrew slaves themselves had never really known the Lord. They'd known about their forefather, Abraham's relationship with God and his son and his son, and, of course, they're the descendants of that line. But the fact that they had a covenant with God was the reason why God delivered them. Now we need to ask, what, what did God do? And what was God's goal? What was God's purpose? Now, if you didn't read the story in the Bible, you've seen the movie. And it ends with them coming out of slavery and the Red Sea opening up and they cross over. And they're free. That closes up and uh, the Egyptians and Pharaoh and his armies all wiped out. And uh, that's the end of the story. And in most people's minds, and I hate to say this, but in most Christians' minds, that's the end. That's it. They're free. The slaves are free. That's the objective. But let me ask you this morning. What was the objective of that Exodus story? Thank you. Bring them to the promised land. The story's not over with as it ends with their freedom from Egypt. The full story is entering the promised land. And then the Third question we need to ask is, how? How did God affect that? How did he do it? How did God take them out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land? It's not a trick question, and I know there's a couple different things you could say that would all probably be appropriate, but some want to try a, a sovereign, power. sovereign power. Yes, absolutely. Anyone else? What did God do? How did he do it? All right, let me say this and see if you can buy into this. He used a savior. 400 years in slavery, what was different? God sent a savior. God sent a man, anointed. He was with him. But he didn't just send a man, and here's the point of my message this morning. He sent two, Moses and then followed by Joshua. This message this morning, if you wanted to title it, it is the two faces of Jesus. Moses and Joshua. Consolidated in Jesus Christ are the two leaders that brought them out from slavery and then brought them into the promised land. And the one Savior, Moses, 
performed half the job, and then the other Savior, Joshua, performed the other half of the job. Now in our deliverance from sin into the, into the kingdom of God and serving Him, the Lord Jesus spans both those characters, but here in the Scriptures, He uses two different people to show the different relationship you have with God under the one versus the kind of relationship you have with God under the other. And that's the purpose of this message this morning. Let's start by asking this question. What was the purpose of the wilderness? If the objective was to bring them into the promised land, first of all, how many years did they spend in the wilderness? Forty years. Forty years. That's a big chunk of your life. And... Um, how long were they supposed to be in the wilderness? Does anybody know? Forty days. The trip from the Red Sea to the place where you cross the Jordan River to go into the Promised Land, a town called Kadesh Barnea, was forty days. Forty days turned into what? Forty years. So here's the question. If God's objective was to get them out of Egypt so He could bring them into the Promised Land, why the wilderness? Why 40 years in the wilderness? What was the purpose of that? So let's talk about the wilderness before we go back and talk about why there were two saviors. First of all, the wilderness was nothing special. In fact, it was quite barren. And it was simply the territory between Egypt and the Promised Land. Physically, that's all it was. It held no strategic significance. It wasn't a particularly rich land. It was certainly not a land that you would want to inherit. But it was called the wilderness for a reason. And so it had one all-important purpose in God's plan. And this, I, this might be the last question I ask you guys. Uh, but, it, you know, whether you have an answer or you just cogitate on it, think about it a little bit. The question is, what was that one all-important purpose that was to happen before they were able to leave the wilderness and go into the promised land? Terry, what would you say? Oh, bingo. We have a mug for you this morning. Praise the Lord. Oh, she'll have the underwear. All right. I've got no comment. Um... Yeah, after taking the slaves out of Egypt, God had to get Egypt out of the slaves. In fact, He had to get slavery out of the Hebrews. After He took Hebrews out of slavery and Egypt, He had to get Egypt out of their rearview mirror, and He had to get slavery out of their mind. Because they could not enter the promised land if their whole identity was wrapped up in slavery, free or not. So, slave mentality had to change into warrior mentality. And that was the purpose of the promised land. That change could have happened in 40 days. 40 days they crossed that wilderness. They had 40 days to think about and consider all the awesome things that God had done for them and how, wow, we're no longer slaves. And their mind to shift from being focused on freedom to being prepared to go and become settlers. So God had to transition them from slaves to settlers. And that required a different mindset, and it also required a different pattern of behavior. 
Slaves, even ex-slaves, will behave a certain way until their mind gets changed and their behaviors transformed. If they'd entered the promised land in the mentality that they were in, they would have lasted through one, maybe two battles. They'd have been wiped out. The land and its giants and inhabitants would have swallowed them up. So to get Egypt and slavery out of the Hebrews and transform God's people from slaves to settlers, the, prom the uh, uh, wilderness was the place where God had to deal with them. Because entering the promised land required that change of mind in order to transform their behavior. In the New Testament, uh, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit or the inspiration of your minds, so that you put on the new self, which is created in the image of God in true righteousness and true holiness. So here in Ephesians, Paul is saying, put off the old mentality. Now that's impossible. If your nature is that you're a fallen son of Adam, like all of us came to the Lord as, unless God miraculously uprooted that nature and put a new nature in you, so that you were rooted now in a new nature and were a new creation in Christ, it would be impossible for you to just think different. Then we're talking about positive thinking. You just run around, think happy thoughts and be happy. You just walk around and think Christian and be Christian. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's not a matter of thinking. It's a matter of transforming and transformation. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's impossible for men to be saved. God has to save you, give you a new nature, and then... You transform your thinking. In the power of that new creation in Christ, you can change. You can have a new way of thinking and walk in a new life. You still make mistakes. You still stumble. But you stumble and make mistakes as a victor, not as a slave and as a dominated person. So the New Testament definitely conveys that idea that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now the place, the crossover point where they were to cross over in 40 days was a place, as I said, a little, little town called Kadesh Barnea. Think of Kadesh Barnea as the crossover point where you're ready to leave behind. You've already left Egypt. You're no longer slave, but what are you leaving behind in the wilderness? Slave mentality, thinking like a slave. And let me say it like this. Let me consolidate it so you understand. While they were in the wilderness, they had one thought themselves. What do we eat? Our clothes are wearing out. These guys over here are bothering us. Everything, now that they were free, they were free to think about themselves. They were free to think about their life. They were thinking uh, about how they could have a better life for themselves. And so a lot of Christians get saved, and then all they're stuck on is how God can bless me. God can bless my life. And now I've, I've had it good, and I've had it rough, sometimes all in the same week. And I like good. I like easy. Um, you know, but life just isn't like that. It's got ups and downs for everybody. There's hardship for everybody. The Bible says through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. So the fact of the matter is that I like things to go well. All of us do. And, and God wants to be able to bless us. But life is not about how your life can be great. 
And there's been millions of dollars made selling, quote, Christian books about how your life can be awesome and how your life can be great. And then you get through about three or four or five chapters and realize that pattern of going through trials and facing difficulties is still there. If you don't grab hold of the truth that life is about something more than just your life being great, there is a purpose, a great purpose, for which God saved you. And you lay hold of that purpose. That becomes a greater reason to live than enhancing your own life. Now you've laid hold of something. Now God can really be all who He wants to be to you. So you're probably starting to get this because you're a sharp crowd. Um, but the idea is you come up to Kadesh Barnea with the hope that you've transitioned in your thinking. You're not leaving slavery in Egypt behind. You're leaving slave mentality. You're leaving the mentality that lives for yourself. Now, when a baby is born, what does a baby lie in its crib thinking about? I'm hungry. I don't feel comfortable down here in the mid-region. Somebody do something about that. You know, you, you just think, I'm hot. I'm cold. I'm tired. A babe is consumed, and that's appropriate. It's natural. When you're a babe in Christ, that, those, that early time, you're just consumed about, and that's part of growing. But as you grow in years and grow in stature, what ought to be happening? Your mind needs to grow so that you start reaching beyond how you feel, what your stomach needs, and all those things, and realizing there's a big world, a big life, and there's a big purpose out there to get a hold of. Now, when you're 20 years old and you're still thinking, you're still focused, you're still just absolutely consumed by, hmm, ooh, hmm, I want things to be, I want things to be better. Just how much better can it all get? So the fact of the matter is that when they came up to Kadesh Barnea, they weren't finished Thinking about, wow, I'm free. I'm free. Ooh, you're free. We're free. This is awesome. How can we improve our lives? They hadn't shifted into, we're going to cross over into the promised land. And so you probably remember the story that they sent 12, excuse me, 12 spies, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, to go out into this promised land. And God told Moses, Moses told the children of Israel, this land is flowing with milk and honey. They sent the Spies out, they said, come back and tell us about the land. Now listen very carefully. The spies came back and they said, we shouldn't go there. And they were carrying on their shoulders gigantic grapes and all kinds of fruit. The people said, well, why not? Look at that stuff you've drugged back. They said, yeah, everything's big and there's a lot of it, but there's some really big dudes over there. There's giants, there's walled cities, and look at us, look at them. This is not good. And they started to think about going back to Egypt. They got Egypt in the rearview mirror. Well, at least we ate. At least, you know, we, we knew we weren't going to die. We cross over here. They're going to kill us. So they weren't ready to fight battles. They had no confidence that God who brought them out of Egypt could bring them into the promised land. Yet I read in that scripture, he brought them out so that he could bring them in. So how many Christians today are stalled out in the wilderness, focused on the fact God's freed me from sin, praise God, I belong to a church, going to Bible, and I'm just living the Christian life, and everything's great, and, and everything is, is weighed 
and evaluated based on how, how good or how peaceful uh, your life is uh, transitioning as it's going along. But the reality is, is there's a whole other half to God, a whole other half to His purpose. And unfortunately, relatively few Christians ever really, and the minute you get a Joshua and a Caleb, of the 12, there were only two guys that came back and said, yeah, there's giants. God is with us. God is with us. Come on. God is with us. There's no problem. Did you see what he did to Pharaoh? Did you see what happened to the Nile River? Did you see all that? God is with us. Don't worry about how big we are. But 10 of those spies came back and they said, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Therefore, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And the Bible says they melted the heart of the people. And the people just collapsed. They were uh, upset and they wouldn't go in. Now, here's one of the differences between Moses and Joshua. Moses pastored a people that needed God to be their shepherd, to be their pastor, while they did nothing and he did everything. But the pastor that God would be through Joshua would pastor a people where they did everything and God worked with them. They would have to fight the battles. They didn't have to fight the Egyptians, but they would have to fight the battles in the promised land, but they'd win. God would be with them. God would work through them. And so while Moses was a pastor that held their hand, Joshua was a leader of the armies of God. So they come to Kadesh Barnea, and, you know, let me say something about, about freedom, because freedom was the issue at Kadesh Barnea. Freedom is not God's goal. Freedom is not God's goal. Freedom is a facility of God's goal. And Kadesh Barnea, that crossover point, was where they were to transition from celebrating what they were freed from and transition into celebrating and choosing what they were freed for. And so while you and I get excited about Jesus set me free, that excitement at some point needs to transition into choosing what you were freed for. Asking the question, what purpose? The Bible says that God brought them into the promised land so that he could, they could serve him there and be their God and he would be their people. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, we often quote it, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. There's a fight to faith and a taking hold. And so we are not called to become God's free people. We are freed to become God's called people. He set you free through Jesus Christ so that you could take hold of the call. And that's what, that's what Paul meant when he said in Philippians, so that I might apprehend that for which God apprehended me, that purpose. And that's what it was all about, that transition. It was so the freed slaves in the wilderness could transition into the settlers that would go in and fight the fight and take the possession that the Lord had given them as an inheritance. But what really happened at Kadesh Barnea was that because of the advice of the ten, and by the way, I have to say, when Moses sent the twelve spies, he never said, come back and advise us about what we should do. He just said, come back and report on the contents of the land. 
they were never authorized to give advice. It was not theirs to say, we can't enter the land, there's giants there. So the people should have never listened to them. Now Joshua and Caleb said, let's enter into that land. We can do it. But they listened to the ten. And therefore God said, you're not going to enter in. You can't because you'll kill yourselves. You don't realize it. And a week later they tried to, they repented. They realized they had blown it. And they said, we can go, we can enter in. And, and God said, no, you can't. Because just knowing that you made a mistake is not, is not the transformation that God's looking for. God's looking for the transformation when a man is ready and his mentality is ready to take on that fight of faith and take on that responsibility that God puts before him. God says, I can work through that guy. I can work through that woman. So now let's talk, and we'll use these last few minutes to share about the Savior's two faces, Moses and Joshua. Moses and Joshua were both um, types, if you will, of Jesus. Jesus is consolidated into the two of them. But why? Why did God use two leaders? Now that we've shared about the, the, the uh, wilderness and the promised land, why were there two leaders? Why didn't God just let Moses lead them into the promised land? Moses, as you know, God stopped him. And he died in the wilderness, and his protege, if you will, that had been trained, Joshua, was the one who was anointed to lead them in. And the answer probably can be a little complex, and its, it's truth sits on a couple of different levels. But let me just say this to you this morning. As God's people transitioned from maintenance to inheritance, their life was all about being maintained, God blessing them, to now going in and taking hold of the inheritance, God's purpose for them. Then God's leadership had to change because the leadership through Moses was all about pastoring their wilderness experience while the leadership through Joshua was about leading them militarily to con the conquest of the land and the settling of it. Listen to what Jeremiah said in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was as a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Look at the difference. In the wilderness, he was leading them by the hand. I took them by the hand. I was like a father to them, leading his little children 40 years around in the wilderness. That's what Moses was. Moses healed their sicknesses fed them with food, and counseled their complaints. They needed a different kind of Jesus. They needed a Jesus that would lead them as they went forth and put their hand to the work that God had called them to do. And so, <clears throat> in the old wilderness experience, they were led by God's hand. 
He was their Savior. He was the Savior that they needed in that experience. When you're in a wilderness experience, you're not projecting ahead. If you're in a wilderness place right now in your life, as a Christian, you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about, oh, I'm just wandering around. Uh, I need my situation to improve. Think about it. I need my situation to get better. I need my situation to improve. There's nothing wrong with those needs. There's nothing inappropriate or unchristian about it. It's just knowing where you're at. You're at that place where you're wandering in the wilderness for only one reason, because you're not ready to enter the promised land. Your mind isn't there. Your behavior will always follow your mentality. Whatever your desires are, that's where your feet are going to follow, one way or the other. And so the fact is, is that as a believer, you could be in the wilderness where God is, you needed God to lead you by the hand. You needed to put money in your hand. You needed to put food in your hand. You needed to put gas in your tank. And there's nothing, as I said, whatsoever wrong with those needs. And God is happy to meet those needs. He is a shepherd to us. He gave them Moses because he was with them and they were his people. And I think a lot of believers spend their entire life in a kind of wilderness experience. They never really enter into a ministry. And let me say this to you. We have a habit over the past 2,000 years that whenever there is a Joshua among us, we make him our, our pastor. Because we think it's unique. We think, wow, it's a, you know, if you, if you feel a call to, to enter the promised land and to you know, have an impact on our community, have an impact on our city, well, you must be a pastor. But the reality was that the children of the dead slave, former slaves that died in the wilderness who entered the promised land, every one of them had that pastor mentality. Joshua led a people in who all took upon themselves that responsibility to transform that land and to fulfill God's purpose in that land. How about that? Praise the Lord. So... The scripture says in Matthew chapter 8, we all know the story. Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. They're going across the Lake of Galilee. Great storm comes up and they are being rocked on the sea that night. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's sleeping through the storm. And they wake him up, the Bible says in Matthew 8, 24 and 25. They, said, they woke him up and said, Lord, save us. We're about to die. That sums up the relationship that the followers had with Jesus until after the day of Pentecost. All the way up to the day of Pentecost, Lord, we're out in the wilderness. Feed us. Lord, we've got all these people out here. Feed them. Lord, heal us. Lord, do all these things. And again, I have to say this. It can't be stressed enough. If you need healing, get healing. If you need food, let God put food in your mouth. If you need finances, let God bless you with a job. Let him put money in your hand. Let God bless and meet those needs. But once all of that's done, what are you alive for? What's your purpose? Are you there just to be fed, air-conditioned, taken care of and being led by the hand around and around in this world, which is the wilderness? Or is there a purpose? Instead of pushing the people who get the mentality that Joshua had, let's go in and take the land, up to the pulpit saying, make them our pastor because they obviously have a vision. Instead, everybody needs to take that mentality on and say, God's got a purpose for me. Until we shoulder that purpose, we're not going to enter the promised land. 
Now, the Bible says, and I'm going to close with this, the land, the promised land, was a land flowing with what? Sure. Now, milk and honey may not mean a whole lot to you. You can just go to Publix and buy you some milk and honey. But if you lived back then and were in the wilderness, milk and honey was probably quite valuable. And so to say that the land flowed with milk and honey was not only true, but it just conjured up ideas of, wow, who doesn't want to live in a land that just flows, you just turn on the spigot, out comes milk and honey. In other words, prosperity, blessing. This is a land that is rich, land that is blessed. Every Christian wants to live the life that's blessed where the spigot's flowing with milk and honey. But God has his reasons for not putting all the truth out on the table. Sometimes all the facts are not put out there. Like, for example, the night that the storm came up and they said, we're dying, save us. He had said to them later in the, earlier in the day, let's get into the boat and go across to the other side. Do you remember reading that? Did he say anything about let's get in the boat and go out in the middle of the lake where we can encounter a typhoon and we could all possibly die? So he didn't say anything about that. He left that part out. But he was in the boat with them because he, he is the contingency plan for life storms. So God said, the land's flowing with milk and honey, but he forgot the blood. The land's flowing with milk and honey and a lot of spilled blood. They fought a lot of battles, and there was a lot of blood that flowed. So the promised land flows with milk, honey, and blood. Now, there were only two men of the three to six million slaves that came out under Moses. That's a lot of people. Only two of them were alive 40 years later who crossed over at Kadesh Barnea into the Promised Land. They were Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who said, we can take the land. Every one, and why did it take 40 years? It took 40 years for them to die. What's the purpose of the wilderness? So you can die. The purpose of the wilderness is to kill you. The purpose of the wilderness is so that that part of you that is tattooed with Egypt, that has got permanent slave mentality, that's got to die. It dies before you go into the promised land. Period, dot, end of sentence. Because you will die in the promised land if you have slave mentality. So Christian, I'm telling you this morning, the quickest way that I know of to get out of the wilderness is to let that part of you that keeps looking back to Egypt or keeps saying, well, slavery wasn't so bad. I mean... Think about it. At least we had some sort of uh, uh, expectation of what was coming next. Um, that has got to die. And so the slaves died, but their children entered in. The children were as much the children of God as the slaves that were delivered. So God sees them as one people. And so as the old freed slave lays his mentality down into the ground of the wilderness, out comes the fruit, their fruit, the children who have no recollection of slavery. The children born in the wilderness, they didn't have slavery. In the, they weren't afraid of losing their freedom. They'd always been free. They had free mentality. And so they were free to connect their faith and expectation to, what, there's a promised land? How come, we, how come mommy and daddy didn't take us there? There's a promised land? We need to get into this place. And God held them back until the last one of those 
people died in the wilderness. So, a land flowing with milk, honey, and blood. They were willing to spill their blood. It's really appropriate uh, Independence Day, as I said before. There's never been a people on the face of the earth that gained or maintained their independence without a fight. You have to fight for everything that's good in this life. And without a fight, and if you're not willing to fight to defend it, then you don't deserve to keep it. You can like that or not like it, but it is the fact. All good things in life require that kind of commitment. And so Joshua led a people who hungered for their purpose, not a people who were celebrating the fact that they were free. They never transitioned to being hungry for their purpose. And so let me share with you the difference that was made in the lives of the Christians when they first walked with Jesus and they were in that boat and they were afraid, oh Lord, save us, we're going to be capsized, the storm came up. These same guys, exact same guys, just probably about a year and several months later, are found in Acts chapter 4. After Jesus has died, he's risen from the death, the dead, the worst has come and they're still there. Now they're filled with the Holy Ghost. They are transitioning in their thinking. Same men, same needs, same threats. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 31, Peter and John have been arrested, been beaten, been th threatened to be put to death. Then they were released. They went back to the rest of the disciples and they told about how they were threatened not to preach anymore in Jesus' name. And... Uh, and this threat was real, and they all got together, and this is what they decided to do about it. And now, Lord, they prayed. They looked to the Lord. And they said, now, Lord, behold their threatenings. God, are you listening to what they are threatening, what they're saying? Now, had it been a year or so later, they would have said, Lord, behold their threatenings, and deliver us. Help us. Get us out of this. But they said, Lord, Behold their threatenings and give your servants boldness that we can preach your word by stretching forth your hand to heal so that signs and wonders may be done in the name of Jesus Christ. The very thing they threatened them to stop doing and we're going to kill you, Lord, we're going to pour it on. So pour out your power and let the chips fall where they may. Lord, behold their threatening. Stretch out your hand that miracles may occur in the name of Jesus. You want miracles to flow? This is the kind of mentality it takes to see miracles flow. It's people that go beyond living for themselves and they start living for the purpose of God. Hallelujah. And they get bold about it. Amen. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. You know, you don't have to tarry at the altar for days, weeks, months, and years to get the Holy Ghost. Just put your heart in the right place and say, Lord, behold their threatenings, anoint us, let us go out and stretch out your hand. We're going to be loud, we're going to be bold, and we're going to love people with the love of Jesus in a big, bold way. And man, the Bible says God grabbed the house and shook it. God just said, ooh, I like that. And he shook the house. And he poured out his spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's how you get filled with the Holy Ghost. God will shake the house when you shake yourself at Kadesh Barnea. Crossover. 
So, as I said before, Jesus has two sides. The Moses side that will take you by the hand when you need to be taken by the hand. I thank God for that. I think I needed him to take me by the hand yesterday. But he's also got the Joshua side for when you're ready to step up and put his interests first. You're going to risk the blood for the milk and the honey. Why? Because you've got to have milk and honey. They, had milk and honey. they, they could have had all that they needed back in the wilderness. No, because you want to do what God's called you to do. You want to take that land and glorify him in that land. So I want you to close your Bible and stand with me this morning. Here's where we're at today. In your life and in my life, God has a purpose and a calling. And you know something? You know, it may vary in some of the details here and there, but it's the same purpose for each and every one of us. And that purpose is to glorify Him in this world. 